When we talk about the history of the southwestern United States, we're mostly thinking about the people's history. But everybody comes from somewhere looking for land, food, and a place to call home. I'm Katie Stone, and here at the Children's Hour, we wanted to learn more about the history of the place we call home. In this series, we're diving into how the high desert region of the southwestern United States came to be what it is today, and who's shaped that history along the way. This is A Brief History of the American Southwest for Kids. We started our series with a set of 23,000-year-old footprints at White Sands to the amazingly advanced society that lived at Chaco Canyon. That's thousands of years of history. So in this episode, we're focusing on one of the many tribes that descended from Chaco Canyon and on one moment in their story that changed everything for our region. We met up with a few experts to tell us more, like John Jahadi. He's an educator from the Pueblos of Laguna and Zuni. Here's what he told us. There were many societal structures that were part of the Western Hemisphere, which met its pinnacle or its highest point when the group of people, what we now refer to as Chaco, significantly changed how people were going to live together. They were no longer living in small little community groups. We're talking a large metropolitan group of people that were able to sustain an entire population of almost like we would say some of our major cities here. And that was happening all over the region. People were living together in new ways with new technologies. One of these groups were the Ashiwi people, the Zunis. So when new people came in, it was always an opportunity to learn from each other. That's Curtis Kwam, the director of the Ashiwi Awan Museum and Heritage Center. Whether it was about landscape, whether it was about plants, whether it was animals, or just a different outlook on life. I think that's something that's really important. And we share this understanding with other Puebloan tribes and other native tribes within the area to help who we are. But during the 1500s, the Zunis learned about a new group of people moving across the continent, all the way from another continent. And 1539, a small expedition led by Fray Marcos de Niza, and his lead scout was Estebanico. Marcos de Niza was a Christian missionary from Spain. He was part of a group called the Franciscans, one of the many groups sent by their king to help expand the country's empire. He'd been to other places too, like Peru, Guatemala, and Mexico. But what about his companion, Estebanico? A lot of people say that he was the first African to explore our region. It is written that Estevanico was kind of the scout, but also a slave that was gaining his own foot in the world in a way. The Spanish wanted that land for themselves and all the resources that came with it. That explains one of the biggest stories making its way around the region at the time, the myth of the seven cities of gold. The Spanish believed there was an incredible amount of wealth there. If only they could find those towns. They dreamed of buildings made of gold and riches beyond their wildest imaginations. The only problem? It wasn't real. In 1539, Estevanico's mission failed. He was killed by the Zuni, 
and the Spanish were driven from the tribal nation. Marcos de Niza went back to Mexico City and lied to Spanish officials that he'd actually found the seven cities. So, Spain sent out another team. And around July 7, 1540, is when they came into a, a village that we call Jabuco, which is about 13, 14 miles southwest of our current Pueblo that we reside in. The only thing I can compare to that would be like aliens coming down. One of the things that I've heard from one of our elders is that he related to this weird being coming into our village. This weird creature had six legs, two heads and four eyes. Wait, it had six legs, two heads and four eyes? What could that be? Could it be an animal? Okay, so the answer to this Instead of referring to a person and a horse, they described it as one being. Again, transportation was pretty much by foot. So they have never seen horses before, and they've never seen a person on a horse. They had altogether six legs, two heads, and four eyes. Archaeologist Mary Wiaki says tribes across the region were having these kinds of encounters with the Spanish. Curtis just talked about the different kind of animals. You know, they were bringing domestic animals that we've never seen, the horse being one. I love that story of six legs and four eyes, you know, and the the young man's interpretation of an alien. And it was an alien to us. That word alien was probably used for other animals like the cats, the pigs, and the chickens that came along. And Zuni was so good at recording and having stories about what they saw during those time periods. So in archaeology, we're able to go back and see their pottery versions, rock art, some uh, of these animals that are showing up that are, are foreign. And I'm Comanche, and they even have a, a little picture of a Comanche, they call us. So, you know, we were coming in, and, and we were probably foreign to them as well. But how did they communicate? Because we didn't speak Spanish, and they didn't speak Zuni. So how do you communicate? Are you using sign language, hand gestures, uh, drawings? So you have to think about all of this. And like I mentioned, you know, Zuni was so articulate with how they were communicating and recording history. We have stories and songs, even dances about these aliens that came in. What the Spanish were doing would change the region forever and upend the lives of all the tribes that had called this area home for thousands of years. Here's John Jahadi. This area, the south, the U.S. Southwest, not just New Mexico, but our neighbors, Arizona, Texas, northern Mexico, that we still see evidence of civilizations here. And many of these civilizations existed. Some of them existed for about 400 years. Uh, on an average, some of them existed for about 600 years. So there were many civilizations that existed here. Most of the countries here in the Western Hemisphere have barely been in existence for 250 years. Certainly the Spanish that did come to the Southwest, they were under still a very unknown reason why they came. Oftentimes we're told, especially those of us who go to public school, that they came here looking for gold. However, We can certainly learn more from when we investigate and thoroughly research what the Spanish wrote at the time. And they were still very much convinced that they would find Asia on this side, not gold. What they wanted was the porcelain, the spices, the silk, the cardamom, the cinnamon, uh, pepper, all of those things. 
that were not in the eastern part of Europe. They wanted all those things, and they just wanted a quicker, easier way to do that. And that, John says, is where we get the term Pueblo from. I know we've been saying the word Pueblo a lot, but really in our own languages, amongst all of these different distinct diverse groups with many distinct languages, we already have names for ourselves. We already have names for who we are as a person, as a group of people, and the places we live. But the Spanish simply saw them as a, oh, they all look alike. They're all the same. They're all living in the same kind of houses. They're all growing the same kind of crops. They're all brown. And that term Pueblo just simply began to be used as a generic descriptor for all of these groups. And we still use that term today. In a lot of history books, this moment in world history is called the Age of Discovery. Western countries were traveling to other lands, looking for new trade routes and more land to control. But that's not what it felt like for the indigenous people encountering these new populations. We met Diego Medina in our first episode. He says the Spanish wanted the land and its resources, including the people already living there. What we see is the economy of people begin to really pick up in the Southwest. And so people were being taken from various villages and communities and moved all around as slaves and as servants to do the work of the spread of the Spanish empire in this part of the world. The Spanish also converted many indigenous people away from their ancestral beliefs to be more like them. Missions were basically churches that were meant to house Native people and to have us live there and and do work building the church. And while we're living there and doing work, we're also being taught the Catholic doctrines. And we have stories of revolts taking place during this time period that were very, very violent and sometimes very harmful towards both sides. And on top of all that, Indigenous people also suffered terrible outbreaks of disease introduced by settlers like smallpox and the flu. Many people got sick and died, leaving just a fraction of community members to carry on the culture and language. Here's Curtis Quam. There's really no remembrance of this. I think that was more strategic in a way. They didn't want us to focus on those hard times that we had in our histories. But instead, focusing on what we have today, each other, our language, and our culture, and our ceremonies. And that's what we carry on today. These days, there are around 8,000 Ashiwi people living on the Zuni Reservation in New Mexico. The community is known for its art, like painting, pottery, and jewelry making. But it took centuries of resistance to preserve their culture, and even revolt. In our next episode, we're diving into one of the Southwest's most famous battles, the Pueblo Revolt of 1680. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I've learned so much today from our amazing guests. What do you think, Isaac and Lily May? Should we see how good our memories are? Yeah! You're on! True or false, in 1639, Christian missionary Marcos de Niza was sent by the King of Spain to explore and expand their empire. False. De Niza and his crew were sent a hundred years earlier in 1539. True or false, Esteban Nico, 
Deniza's companion approached exploration in a very violent way, and his actions resulted in many deaths of indigenous people in this region. True. Unfortunately, Estevanico, perhaps the first African to explore this part of the world, used violence against the Zuni people rather than trying to have a more peaceful and productive conversation with them. Next up, true or false, Marcos de Niza found the seven cities, returned to Mexico City to inform the Spanish leadership of his victory, and sent Spain out on another expedition to further explore. False. Denisa did not find the famed seven cities because they didn't exist. However, he did lie to Spanish officials and tell them that he had found the seven cities. And so, in 1540, they did send out another group of explorers to investigate. True or false? Indigenous people like the Zuni hadn't seen any horses before the Spaniards arrived on horseback. So, they initially thought it was an alien creature with six legs, two heads, and four eyes. True. True or false, native civilizations in this region have existed for about the same amount of time as countries in this part of the world. False. Many of these civilizations have been around for over 1,000 years. In contrast, most countries in this part of the Western Hemisphere haven't even been established for 300 years, including the U.S. Next, true or false? The time period we've been talking about today, often referred to as the Age of Discovery, brought great benefits and advancements to everyone it impacted. Very false. Although the Spanish Empire gained wealth and power through their conquests, the native people whose land they pillaged were left much worse off. I'm Katie Stone, and you're listening to the Children's Hour, a brief history of the American Southwest for kids. This was episode three in our six-part series. Find a learn-along guide to accompany this episode, which meets national education standards, at childrenshour.org history. This program is made possible in part with the support from the New Mexico Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities or the New Mexico Humanities Council. If you'd like to hear the full stories from our virtual field trips, you can find videos of all of our conversations at childrenshour.org history. The 
The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, a New Mexico nonprofit. A Brief History of the American Southwest for Kids was written and produced by me, Katie Stone, and by Christina Stella. We had help from Julia Wolf, Isaac Lacerda, and Lily Mae Williams Hobbs. Our series theme music is performed by Marlon Magdalena, with additional music for this episode by Poddington Bear and Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to our amazing guests, Ashiwi Awan Museum Director Curtis Guam, Pueblo Educator John Jahadi, Piero Mansotiwa Tribal Historian Diego Medina, and from the Center for New Mexico Archaeology, archaeologist Mary Wiaki. We had additional support from our history review team, whose members are listed at our website. If you like what you just heard and want to support our work, head to childrenshour.org and visit us anytime on social media at TCH Radio. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. 